Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. And thank you so much for joining us today for The Good Fight, Capitalism versus Socialism. We're so thrilled that you could join us today. Before we get started, I'd like to share a few housekeeping items. One, this webinar is being recorded and will be available on heritage.org within 48 hours of this webinar. It will also be emailed to you. Two, we encourage questions and comments. Please submit them to the questions tab throughout the webinar and we reserve time for Q&A at the end but encourage you to send your questions throughout the webinar. And three, all attendees are in listen-only mode. Again, welcome. My name is Kelly Bapavong, and I'll be the host of today's event. I'm the Outreach Coordinator for the Young Leaders Program here at Heritage, and I'm so excited to partner up with Young Americans Against Socialism to bring another webinar to you all. Our previous one was with Lee Edwards on the history of socialism, and today's program will be about the moral arguments. Here at the Heritage Foundation, we're committed to building an America where freedom, opportunity, prosperity, and civil society flourish. That's why today's talk, a talk on how we can change hearts and minds when it comes to free markets, is so crucial to that. In today's climate, we're seeing an increasing amount of discomfort with capitalism and a reevaluation of our whole political system, so it's important to be having this conversation today. I'm excited to bring Romina and Morgan to you today as I have a deeply personal connection to socialism. My parents left the communist country of Laos in 1990 to come to America to pursue the American dream and Laos is only getting closer to full socialism each day. This talk is so important for younger generations like me to understand how to be effective advocates for free markets. And with that, I'd like to introduce our panelists today and invite them to come on screen with me. First, we have Romina Baccia, Romina is the director of the Gromer M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget here at Heritage. Her research focuses on securing economic freedom, controlling the size and scope of government, expanding opportunity and flexibility for workers, reforming social security, and simplifying retirement savings. Joining Romina today is Morgan Zeggers. Morgan is the founder of Young Americans Against Socialism, a nonprofit organization that equips young Americans with the truth about socialism using educational social media videos. Morgan's also the owner of Zegger's Freedom Flags, a woodworking business that sells handcrafted wooden American flags. And she was the Republican candidate for New York's 113th Assembly District in 2018. Thank you both so much for joining us today. First, I'd like to start off with a poll to our audience. Um, a poll should pop up on your screen now and you'll have about 45 seconds to complete that poll. Great. Uh, I hope you had the chance to submit your answer and uh, we'll be looking at these poll results over the course of the hour. And so I wanna kick it off um, to both Romina and Morgan just by asking first, can you kind of give the audience an idea of why socialism 
is an issue that you care about deeply? And what is it about the topic that makes you speak out about it? Uh, would you like me to go first? Sure. All right. Uh, so hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me back, you guys, Kelly and everybody at the Heritage Foundation. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm from upstate New York, and I know uh, I do run Young Americans Against Socialism, but in the years leading up to that, I did not pay attention to the fight against socialism. I was not aware of everything going on. I really only started to pay attention because I love this country. I love it very much. I'll do anything to protect it, and I'll do anything to step up and, and be a part of the movement to make sure that America is free and prosperous for years to come. And more and more, I saw I saw the squad elected. I saw a poll officially in 2018 that said a majority of my generation would choose socialism, and my jaw dropped. I felt this sense of embarrassment and I just an astonishment of I had no idea that the issue was that bad. And so I did my own research. I started researching how other socialist movements have come to power. How could we possibly have gotten here? What are the ties between the socialist movements in history and what's happening with the American left today? I saw a lot of very dangerous connections, and I said. I think this is truly the the biggest threat to the future of America that we are facing. And I need to step up and I need to join this. And so I did more research. I started YAS. And I, I believe that socialism is, you know, in one hand, is completely immoral. But I also believe in, in freedom, individual liberty. And I am really proud to be a part of this movement. And so I'm excited to be talking with you today about what are the actual action steps and, and techniques we can use to fight back against socialism. Because right now, it's on the same moral high ground as capitalism. And we need to make very clear to young Americans that they are nowhere near in the same zone. And so we really have to work on perfecting that messaging. And I'm excited to do that. Thank you. For me, this is a very uh, personal debate, socialism versus capitalism. I grew up in West Germany, and I remember at age eight, I was visited Southern Italy with my grandfather, and I just saw this huge difference in the way people were living. In Western Germany, we had all the modern amenities, even poor people were relatively well off. And in Southern Italy, my family members, um, they were living under much poorer conditions. There was very little economic opportunity. And and the, the streets weren't even paved. It was dirt roads and there were feral cats and dogs everywhere. And that's really how I started getting interested in economics and better understanding the world was this question of uh, where does wealth come from? Um, why does poverty exist? And what are the conditions that allow uh, humans to flourish and to live uh, prosperous lives? Um, and so that's really been a theme, and this is also why I chose this career to be an economist and to work at the Heritage Foundation is to uh, really understand those questions better and um, help drive good policy so that people can live uh, prosperous uh, lives. Um, also growing up in Western Germany, I went to school with uh, kids that had moved over after the Berlin Wall came down, so I heard their first-hand account of what it was like to live under this oppressive regime. And that really uh, shaped my thoughts on this matter too, that um, the question of what political system we live under is really a question about our lives and our livelihoods, and they're deeply ingrained. And um, collectivist societies, uh, no matter the wonderful utopian promises that they make, they end up having to use force uh, in order to get people to comply 
and um, it is incredibly destructive to the human spirit uh, and also to everything we need in order to survive, uh, leading to shortages and uh, destruction and decline of, of, of property. Um, and lastly, when I went to high school, in Germany, we went through a number of utopian exercises where um, I had more favorable views of socialism and thought, well, what they did in East Germany was wrong and what happened in Russia was wrong, but Cuba is totally different. And so I ended up writing my thesis on the Cuban revolution and just learned that, no, it's not different at all. There's uh, no freedom of speech. Um, they go after dissidents and um, there's no justice, only Castro rules. There's no rule of law, and these people are living really in, in, in abject poverty and under an oppressive regime. And so, I, I was thinking about just um, being, being a young person and having favorable views of socialism. Why did I hold them? And then I wanted to make it my mission, as I saw that socialism was gaining traction in the United States, to share what I had learned and particularly to appeal to young people uh, like I was uh, one day uh, to see if uh, what I learned and um, how my views changed on the importance of a free market system and individual liberty and how, how destructive socialism really is, if some of that might appeal um, to this generation as well so that we can have more people that are on the right side of this issue. Yeah, absolutely. And Morgan, I remember the poll that you're talking about. It's a striking number of younger people who would prefer socialism now. So um, a question for you both then is, why do you think that young Americans are increasingly drawn to socialism? It's being touted as not just the better economic system, but also more virtuous. Um, can we kind of unpack why that is? And I think Romina will kick it off to you first this time. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to uh, start on this. So recent uh, polls by Gallup, we've seen that uh, roughly 55% of millennials hold a favorable view of socialism. Uh, but the good news is that if you poll Americans what they think socialism means, um, they, they have a very distorted idea. Um, answers are all over the place and very few people really name it head on, which is uh, government uh, control and or ownership over the means of production, over everything that makes up our economy. That's the uh, textbook definition of socialism. Instead, you get responses like, to be a socialist is to be caring and that it's about equality and bringing about greater justice. And so uh, people have this very distorted view of what socialism is about. And you also, um, I've seen where reporters go on the streets and they'll poll young people and they'll say, well, if being a socialist uh, means that I care about other people and I want them to you know, have basic living standards, um, then I guess I'm a socialist. And so it's that whole distortion. And we did an event in New York City with Jordan Peterson where we asked him this question. And he, he talks about how there is this primal compassion that we all have. And, um, and that that is something that will never go away and that's something people are responding to. Um, so the good news is uh, 
lots of people who support socialism do so because they don't understand its track record. They don't know what it really means. And when they're confronted with those facts, I think their opinions uh, will change. Um, I'd like to uh, show a slide now, which um, is also something I think that contributes to it for especially young people. There's this glorification of these revolutionary uh, leaders like Fidel Castro and Che Guevara. And there's a whole commercial enterprise behind making posters and t-shirts of uh, these, these revolutionaries. And very few young people uh, understand the history and know what's really going on there and how many people uh, these revolutionaries killed. And so, uh, and under what conditions and just how awful uh, that is. And instead, um, they're attracted to this image of um, the rebel because especially young people like to rebel against um, society and the status quo and their family. They're trying to emancipate themselves. And I think so that's why those revolutionaries are appealing to them. Um, but we need to uh, teach them what that history is really about and the devastation and destruction uh, these men um, have brought about, and I have. I'd like to show another slide and a warning. It's it's a rather graphic slide, but I think it's important for people to recognize the people of Venezuela. 20 years ago, this was one of the most prosperous countries, not just in Latin America, but in the world. They had a thriving middle class. They had, they had abundant markets. It was a great place uh, to live, and. Um, socialists convinced enough people to vote for their agenda by promising them security, by promising them freedom from responsibility, by promising them all these handouts and the government was going to take care of them. And now we have the results of those um, socialist policies, the price controls that led to shortages, the currency controls and the massive inflation that eroded people's savings, their hard work, everything that they've worked for in their lives uh, gone because of bad government policy to the point where now nine out of ten people living in Venezuela are living in abject poverty. And to, to draw um, that contrast even, uh, even more clearly, uh, in 2017, the uh, Catholic University in collaboration of, with two other universities in Caracas uh, did, did a study and they identified that, um, that in one year alone, the people of Venezuela lost an average of 24 pounds, that is, that is what starvation looks like. People dying because there isn't enough um, food. And that is all because of uh, socialist uh, policies um, that, uh, that, that were sold to people um, as these wonderful utopian promises. And then they delivered what socialism always delivers, which is despair, death, and destruction. Yes, and I would definitely agree with what you said there, Ramina, about young people usually have this rebellious nature and they always want to rebel against the man. And for some reason, young Americans are kind of doing the opposite where they're like, please, man, please take over my life. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want the responsibility of living and, and having to take care of myself. And so that's a really dangerous concept and mindset to take on. But Kelly, to your original question of why do young Americans support socialism, Romina hit it right on the head right there, uh, hit the nail on the head where she said that, yes, of many people, my generation, I'm the last year of millennial and the, the last month of the last year of millennial. So uh, I can kind of speak for Zoomers and millennials, but I think both of those generations, 70% right now, according to uh, victims of communism polls, say they would vote for a socialist. 
70%. But do 70% of young Americans actually want to seize the means of production or even know what that means? Absolutely not. And we did a really funny video, and it's it's kind of sad at the same time. We went to the University of Illinois, Chicago, and I just took a camera onto the quad for an hour. I didn't I didn't want to make a video where it plays like ditzy music and I make fun of them or anything. I just recorded them. And what they said after they did a knee-jerk reaction of, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'd vote for a socialist. And then I would follow it up with, oh, okay, cool. So so what do you what is socialism to you? And what do you think a socialist country is? Where would you uh, like to see America go in the direction of? Absolutely nothing. Somebody said it was socializing. Somebody said it means less incarceration. Somebody said, well, you know, when we all come together and show our ideas, I think that we'll have better results. Okay, okay, so these are all, again, very nice aspects of society. I like coming together and finding, I like coming together and finding results in policy. That sounds like a great thing, but we do have state legislatures and local governments and Congress where we already do that. We have a really great system of government. And so we have to have the basic understanding a lot of it goes back to a basic lack of education. And some people will say, oh, the socialists have infiltrated the education system and they're spewing their, their propaganda. Maybe there are some bad people out there. I do agree with that. But I think the bigger issue is what's being left out of the classroom, what's being left out of those lessons. And for me, we learn a lot about the impact and the results of these terrible dictators. And we learn about them as dictators. So Stalin, we learn about Castro, you learn about Lenin. Uh, Pol Pot, what you don't learn is that those same men came to power as really, really exciting, young, vibrant leaders that promised so many great things. And everybody was really excited to get them into power and to get them into office. We don't learn that as young Americans. And so now when we hear those same utopian promises, no red flags go off in our head. We don't have that intellectual ammunition to say, oh, wait, this has been promised before. This has happened before. These same steps have been taken and it didn't turn out very well. It's never actually uh, come to fruition. I should be worried and I should reject this. We have no intellectual ammunition to be able to reject those lies of the left. And so I think that's what's missing in history classes. It's what's missing in economics classes. Another aspect of it is we're living outside of reality. It's very difficult to imagine not living in America if all you've done is live this very cushy middle class, even uh, people who are in the working class. We live in a very cushy society. We haven't had to want for many things and we live better than many generations did even a hundred years ago. And it's just hard to, to concept that people would have to struggle just to get by. And so that's why you have a lot of older Americans that'll say, oh, those young Americans, let's ship them to Venezuela. Then they'll really learn their lesson. Then they'll really learn how bad it is. You can't do that. And so that's why I'm excited. Ramina and I are going to kind of talk about firsthand testimony and why that's so important. I think that's our counter, at least one of the ways we can counter this issue of we can't ship everybody to Venezuela to learn firsthand, but we can paint a very vivid picture with educational videos and, and having people testify for what they really have been through. So I'm excited to talk about that too. Yeah, Morgan, that's great. I'm starting off. Can you tell me maybe a little bit more than about the socialist promise kind of how do socialists convince people to embrace their ideology? Absolutely. And this is one of my favorite topics. I, I do a lot of speeches on this specific thing, and I could talk an hour about this. But this is where I really focused my research when I first started Young Americans Against Socialism. And just for some background, we really focus on peer-to-peer -peer education uh, because that's been shown, no matter what, if you're talking about politics or any issue, it's the best way to convince a young person to even open their mind to hearing other ideas, let alone changing their hearts and minds in reality. And so that's why we focus on peer-to-peer -peer communication. But so concerned about when I was doing that initial research was there were so many similar 
actions that were being taken by Antifa, by Justice Democrats, by the Democratic Socialists of America, by Bernie, by the squad, that were really, really similar to what has been done by socialist movements in the past. And so one of them is the distortion of language. Uh, Hayek talks about this in The Road to Serfdom, how they have to distort basic words and meanings. So think of morality, justice, fairness, what is freedom? And I mentioned this on our last webinar with Lee, Dr. Lee Edwards. Bernie had a campaign video where he said, what is freedom? And young people are on screen going, am I free if I have student loan debt? Am I free? if I have high healthcare costs? Am I really free if I only work my dead-end job to get healthcare insurance? I kid you not, that's what they said in the video. And the video ends with, no, you're not free. Freedom comes from economic freedom and economic freedom comes from the government taking care of those things for you. And, and so that idea that freedom is no longer freedom to live your own life and not be oppressed by a higher government and it's now freedom from that responsibility. And if you had the government taking care of those things for you, you would be free. You wouldn't have that burden on your shoulders. You wouldn't have that responsibility. And so the distortion of those basic words is really hard because then how do we go to young people and say, we're the pro-freedom movement. We're the pro-freedom side. They think that we're bringing chains to them by making them and showing them that you can take care for yourself and you can take care of your family. Um, so that's a really concerning thing. The second thing is they create a desire for wealth redistribution. Uh, Fidel Castro and Che Guevara, when they were traveling through Cuba on their revolution, on their way to Havana, they would actually steal landowners' animals and then give them to the peasants in town and say, this is just a little taste of what it's going to be like. It's not fair they have more animals than you. It's not fair they have more money and resources than you. Put us in power and we're going to keep doing this. This is just a little taste. So they started building an army with those promises and with that idea of taking something from somebody else. And so I see that with a student loan crisis. And what you have here is you have millions of young Americans in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. They feel absolutely destitute in terms of never getting out of this situation. And you have politicians that say, you see those evil people on Wall Street, you see those millionaires and billionaires, it's not fair. They have more money than you. Let's make them pay their fair share. Elect me and I will cancel your student loans. I will take their money to do it because that's the moral choice. And so that's creating that idea of, you're right, if I give this person power, I will then be able to do the moral thing of taking money from those people that don't deserve it and putting it to a more just cause, taking care of my debt. And so that's, again, it's a really weird idea of taking somebody's money, but it's becoming a legal process with this legal theft that is socialism and that is uh, taxes in order to pay off other people's debts. Uh, the third thing, and this is what we're seeing with COVID-19, but before COVID-19 hit, I used to always talk about climate change. They use, crisis, they use crises and they use times of turmoil and fear uh, to promote this urgent need to push their agenda. And so we're seeing that very obviously with COVID-19, but what they would say with climate change is people are dying uh, and we need to pass this big, bold solution for this big, bold issue. Support our Green New Deal. Let's help seize the means of production of the utilities industries and the energy industries. This is the only way to save the world from dying in 12 years. So those are three examples of times where the left in America today is really following the playbook of socialist movements in the past. And so I'm really worried, but as you can see, it's playing out pretty successfully for them. Yeah, great job, Morgan, really laying out all, um, all of the issues and exactly how socialists are appealing to um, our generation. And um, I, I just wanna echo all of all of the comments uh, that you made and what we find is that socialists they will um, focus on material needs 
And um, the next step is that the government's role or society's role is to make sure that all of the resources that we have are fairly or evenly distributed. And so they'll define equality as an equality of outcomes rather than an equality of opportunity, equality before uh, the law, which is what, um, what equality used to mean. And so they, they, they co-opt a lot of terms like freedom, as Morgan said, and use them for their own purposes and really distort the meaning uh, behind those terms. And also the, the idea of rights, um, positive rights versus negative rights, like the right to healthcare is not really a right versus your right to be free to use your talents and your abilities uh, to work to provide for yourself and your family, uh, the pursuit of um, happiness uh, versus uh, your right to government granted happiness. Those are really some of the big uh, distinctions. Uh, but I think there's also this issue of responsibility. Um, uh, freedom, the price of freedom is responsibility and uh, both responsibility for ourselves, but also responsibility for the most vulnerable in our society. And I think that's where um, socialists also can be very appealing um, to younger and older generations um, with false promises, empty promises that turn out uh, not the way that they, they, they said they would. And uh, what I mean by that is that socialists, they focus on, you know, there's all this stuff, who has the stuff? How can we make sure that people who need stuff get the stuff? They don't talk about how the stuff comes about. It just assumes that there's this economic pie. And the only question is, how do we slice it up so it's equal? So, you know, everyone gets their fair share. Um, but the beauty of the free market economic system is that it is not a win-lose, that if somebody has a bigger share, doesn't mean that somebody else has a smaller share because the pie isn't fixed. Um, our economy and society, the networks we have, the ways in which people are able to create things and then exchange them with each other peacefully and voluntarily, that actually builds the pie. All the stuff we enjoy comes about as a result of entrepreneurial efforts, investments of, of capital, Capital, which is the basis of capitalism, is to save and then to build on those savings and create awesome products and services that make our lives um, so wonderful, including uh, this, uh, this uh, webinar uh, system that allows us to communicate across the globe via the internet. And uh, I think that's where it, it gets lost sometimes. Um, we need to recognize and remind people that a government doesn't create anything out of nothing. They can't create opportunity. What they do is redistribute things. Um, and, and that is not fair in many cases. And uh, we have a responsibility as individuals uh, to provide for ourselves and to also provide for those among us that can't provide for themselves. And it's too easy, I think, for people to signal and say, I care about poor people. I care about the most vulnerable, which is why I support government programs to take care of them without actually considering if those government programs work as intended and if they actually take care of those people or if they're making their situation worse like the welfare state in the United States and how it has hurt the black community. We need to not just look at good intentions, but also the results of those policies. And I think that's something people struggle with because they want to, um, they want to make the world a better place, but doing it um, on your own in, in your community seems like a hard thing to do. How much easier to just say, oh, I think the government should do it. Now I don't have to worry about it anymore. And sometimes we need to call people out on that and say, you, you cannot 
not delegate away your responsibility to yourself and uh, to your fellow neighbors. It's on all of us um, to create the world that we want to live in and not, uh, and not look for some politician hero uh, to do it for us. Yeah, great. So shifting gears kind of into the more actionable items then from that, we know that socialism has produced so much death and despair. And I'd love to hear from both of you on how impactful is firsthand testimony in revealing socialism's track record? Maybe Morgan, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, so this is really the bread and butter of what we do at Young Americans Against Socialism. And we came up with the idea because I was just so sick of seeing the left lie in every instance. And there's a joke about like the left can't meme. The left can't meme because they have to take 10 minutes to kind of weasel their way into making some sort of point. When conservatives, we have the facts. And so a funny meme works because it's like, boom, boom, shot chaser. It's funny because it's right. The left can't meme because they can't make a point that quickly. Um, so I love making that that comparison. But we do firsthand testimony because the left has to lie. They have to reject basic history and basic economics. They have to lie in their uh, promises of unattainable society, this utopia that will never happen. And then they say, oh, it's not going to be like the other times. It's not going to be like the other times. I thought, it, Ramina, it's crazy that you had that situation where you were like, oh, no, not Cuba is not the same as the USSR. One of the testimonies we talked about, and this is one of my favorite ones, Gabby Franco was an Olympic shooter in Venezuela. Uh, she was slowly seeing how hard it was more and more to get uh, ammo for her practices, how hard it was to just get a firearm. And, and they don't have a second amendment there, but at least they could own firearms. And slowly but surely, it kept getting more and more difficult and it kind of raised some red flags. Her shooting coach had escaped Castro's Cuba when he was younger and he fled to Venezuela, not the best choice in the end, but he spoke to his uh, people in his life, including his team. And he said, you guys, I'm getting really worried because this Chavez candidate is starting to sound a lot like Fidel Castro. I'm really worried. And everybody laughed. They said, oh, no, it could never happen here. We're not an island like Cuba. We're so rich. We're Venezuela. We have, we're one of the richest countries in Latin America in the world. It can't happen here. And they laughed and they said it wouldn't happen here. And so it just shows that's why I'm concerned for America because we aren't. We aren't immune from experiencing something like this. Freedom is so very fragile. And so what I was talking about earlier in terms of young Americans have a really hard time understanding just how bad life can really be and how thankful they should be for living in America. Firsthand testimony lays it out flat. And I thought, Ramina, what you said about uh, young Americans we and really young people around the world, we have this desire for freedom and rebellion. One of the videos that we did is Ray Armas from Cuba. It's been seen by over 11 million people so far. Um, we just posted it again last month, actually, to kind of revamp it. But Ray's story, he talks about how he had long hair in Cuba and how he listened to Beatles. He listened to the rock and roll music from America and, and from you know the first world countries. And he got beaten by police for listening to music from the evil imperialists, from the evil empire, as Castro called America. And so he was beaten by police. He was put on a watch list for having long hair and listening to rock and roll music. And so those facts, that idea that Ray talks about boiling potatoes using firewood from his old furniture. His mom broke down his old furniture to boil the potatoes, and they ate those potatoes for months. And then he comes to America, and he eats a cheeseburger. It was his first meal. He hadn't ever had that. It's just, it's experiences that young Americans uh, really need to see painted in a vivid picture. And so we're really excited about telling these firsthand testimonies. But again, we tell them because the left has to lie in order to, in order to promote their narrative. And the only thing that they cannot distort or reject or deny 
is firsthand testimony, the undeniable truth of people telling what they've actually lived through. And so that's our small way of fighting back. I know a lot of people have said, oh, well, young Americans against socialism, you're not supposed to market negative things. You're not supposed to be against something when you're marketing. I'm like, listen, we're not in, we're not participating in the economy. We're not selling any goods. This is a much needed uh, resource for young Americans to learn from. There's a lot of really great youth groups out there that talk about the positivity that can come from capitalism. They talk about the great things that come in America. I am painting a very vivid picture of the horrors that will happen if you embrace this ideology. That's what we're all about. And so what I think is really important too is it shows the immorality of socialism. And there's a really great book, I have it right here, Noble Purpose. And so when I look to find ways to talk about why socialism is immoral and why capitalism is moral, I don't look to books about socialism or capitalism. I look to books about actual morality and, and core values because that's what I think this all relates back to. And Noble Purpose talks about you might have a goal that sounds nice, fairness, equality, justice. You want people to be equal. Uh, that's a really great goal. And I admire my generation for having uh, such such great hopes for our country. I also want to achieve equality and fairness and a more just society. Everybody wants to do that. But if the, the actions that you are taking to achieve those goals are immoral, then your goal is no longer noble. Your goal is no longer moral. And so that is the end of socialism. Just because you legalize the theft and legalize the stealing of somebody's property and the work that they do and you force them into a slavery situation, it's not moral anymore. And so capitalism allows us the opportunity to achieve that fairness slowly but surely in many ways. We have to, sometimes it takes regulations. Sometimes it takes government action. Sometimes it takes us putting our heads together as average Americans with our representatives and coming up with solutions. It takes time. The The arc of What's that thing? The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I love that quote because the left wants instant results and they think that they'll get that with socialism. But in reality, life is hard. The arc of the moral universe is long. It does bend towards justice, but capitalism allows us to slowly but surely recognize our faults, pass legislation if needed to keep those terrible people accountable because there are always bad people in society. And it allows us to slowly, slowly but surely move towards an even better world. And so that's why I love it so much and you're doing it in a moral way the way that you're behaving and the actions that you're taking are moral and your goal and your end uh achievement is also moral so that means we are working in a noble purpose people i'm pretty excited for us not the less though they're gonna they're gonna go down Nice. Beautifully uh, put, Morgan. Um, that's very much true that uh, for socialists and really totalitarians of all types, um, the ends justify the means. And we're seeing some of that right now this week in America with uh, the looting that's going on and uh, certain individuals um, encouraging or endorsing it because the argument is that the, uh, the ends here justify the means. And we should never forget um, that um, the actions we take to accomplish a goal, as you so beautifully put, also need to be just in order for the ends um, uh, to be to be just. I just want to add uh, one more point um, about um, socialism. Um, Fascism is another variant of this, and we need to be careful. Um, there is the radical left in the United States, but there are also people that are attracted to uh, a nationalism that can quickly reek of national socialism. Um, that that was the that's what the Nazi regime was about. It was called national socialism, and there's often this idea that. Um, 
communism and uh, fascism are polar opposites, but really there are two ideologies that are on the same end of the spectrum. If you look at a spectrum of government co control and coercion versus individual liberty and freedom, and you find both ideologies, socialism and fascism on the government control end of the spectrum. So we should, uh, we should, we should keep that in mind. And in terms of firsthand, um, uh, testimony, you know, oftentimes these can be very dark stories because people have lived through truly uh, cruel and brutal um, things in their in their in communist countries. Um, but there are also things that can be uh, memorable but small. So, for example, one of my um, schoolmates told the story of how she loved bananas as a young child, but living in East Germany, it was almost impossible to get a banana. And uh, you would know um, they had bananas in stores because there would be lines um, two blocks uh, through the door. And so there's still a joke in East Germany today when there's a long line anywhere. Um, oh, do they have bananas today? And she was just telling the story of how, you know, in West Germany, the one thing she she, she she treasures it's like just the abundance of things that um, you can you can always um, have them. She was a child when she lived in East Germany, so she doesn't remember much of the oppression, but she remembers not being able to get bananas. And whenever I go to the grocery store and I look uh, at my grocery store, they have this huge pile of bananas, and I think they were selling them at one point for like. 34 cents for the pound and it's just like they're basically giving them away and whenever I see a banana I think about my friend Romy and um, not being able to get bananas so that's another way if we can link those issues to everyday items that people recognize um, maybe that can serve as regular reminders um, why uh, freedom is so precious and um, what it means um, for, 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 for different people. Yeah, and that's great. Um, I'm actually looking at the poll results right now, and 67% of our respondents have said that telling stories of survivors of socialism is an important yes. way. So um, let's actually pull up the poll results now and look at that, if that's okay. Okay, cool. So. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, I mean, um, initial reactions, Morgan, Romina, kind of, what do you think about the results? Are you surprised by it at all? Does it uh, seem right to you or we have a 67%? Yeah. I, I'm just really excited. I think it shows that we're making waves. The conservative movement, and I don't mean like conservatives, I, I truly mean people that value freedom and, and are on the conservative end in terms of we don't want some authoritarian government telling us what to do. I think there's a big bubble that we're all a part of if we're libertarian or middle of the road or left-leaning even, like small Democrat. Um, I think there's a, an issue in the movement for so long, and we're finally turning a corner on this, where the left dominated emotion, they dominated storytelling, they dominated, uh, they monopolized morality. And by us realizing that there are so many stories to tell, there are so many ways for us to utilize emotion and not not to our advantage in a political way, but to really convey and help people learn on a like the firsthand testimonies. It just helps people and it really does change hearts and minds. And so I, I reference this a lot. When I think of the border situation, terrible situation. It's complicated. It's it's really frustrating to know that so many people are coming in illegally. I wish we could reform our immigration system. But 
when I think of the issue as a whole, I think of this image that the left has created of this small little girl with a little sippy cup crying because she was just separated from her mother. And that's it's a terrible situation and I feel awful about it. And the left immediately saw that and, and were like, that's the story we wanna tell because it's a better sell than just numbers. And so for so long, the conservatives have relied on just the statistics, the numbers, because we have everything on our side, the economics, the history, the facts, the stats, everything is on our side and all the left has is emotion. Imagine if we also took the emotion from their playbook and dominated that field too. I think we're going to win. And when you have people like Ray who ate potatoes and was beaten by police and windsurfed 90 miles from Cuba to the Florida Keys, when you have people like Gabby Franco, when you have people like your friend who was so excited about a banana, I eat a banana every morning. I feel like I'm, my tears are welling up just hearing your story. I think conservatives have so many powerful stories we can tell to help us educate people and not say you should think like us, but to just show them and to truly change hearts and minds. I think this is the way of the future for our, our movement as a whole, people who value individual liberty. Yes, and there's also been um, several uh, people who've come to the United States from Cuba and Venezuela and other countries that are sharing their testimony uh, in, in, in real time. And uh, I have uh, two friends that come to mind, Daniel DiMartino and Jorge Galicia, who both come from uh, Venezuela and they've been uh, very vocal and, and and also helping Americans see and draw the connection between what's happening in our country, the political pressures and movements that we're seeing and the rhetoric that come from certain politicians like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and then highlighting how they heard similar rhetoric in Venezuela and what it led to. And I think that can also be really powerful to have those spokespeople that uh, love the American way of life, that really uh, get what our country is founded on, that have chosen to come to this country to immigrate to America because this is the land of freedom and opportunity and they want to preserve it and for them to share with us what they personally experienced um, in Venezuela or Cuba or any other uh, communist country that they may have come from is um, is also uh, a very powerful. And I'd like to show so um, a slide now with a device that uh, we all know very well and uh, we, we, we love and sometimes uh, hate, but um, the iPhone or really any smartphone, I think this is another good way to connect uh, with young people is to explain to them where all of the things that they love and enjoy and rely on, uh, including basic things like electricity, having a roof over your head, the materials that make that happen, um, running water, all of these things that we take for granted that seem like, yeah, of course we're going to have that in socialism. Well, no, actually in Venezuela, if you listen to people who come from there, like those two friends I mentioned, um, they don't have running water all the time. And um, they, they, they can't get medicine, so people are dying. And uh, But what we know about young people is that the same uh, young people who answered in the Gallup poll, 55% that they look favorable upon socialism, 90% of them, 90% of millennials in this poll said that they looked favorably upon entrepreneurs. So we can we can highlight that um, innovations like the iPhone and others wouldn't be possible without a free market system that allows people the freedom to create wonderful things and then sell them 
to us. And uh, because there's this tendency to go after uh, the so-called rich, they're a minority that seem like they don't need any protections. But that's also what happened um, in Germany when they went after the Jews um, during the Hitler period. The um, It was because they owned a lot of the banks and they had a lot of wealth and it was about confiscation in many ways. And so we, 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 we can't forget the dark history of going after minorities, including the ones that look like they don't need any protection, like the so-called rich, but highlighting to people that um, you wouldn't have an iPhone you wouldn't have all um, these wonderful amenities without the freedom that we enjoy in this country. Um, and I think also telling the stories of these entrepreneurs and the hoops they have to go through and the regulatory impediments that they can face and how innovation like this is almost impossible in a, in a communist country. And we have lots of examples today, just looking at North Korea versus South Korea, you can see the vast differences uh, among the same people, similar culture, and because of um, the rules that they live under and the different regimes, um, you could just get completely uh, different um, outcomes. And um, I want to I want to show uh, another slide while we're while we're on this point um, as well, and that is um, that. We need, we need to come together as a people and recognize that we all have a desire to work on something bigger than ourselves. And we really need to energize people about um, the benefits of uh, free markets and individual liberty in our society. And so that we, we hold on to them tightly, that those are really precious uh, to us and we don't allow a politician uh, for a $600 check, you know, or a $1,000 universal basic income uh, whatever it might be, whatever they promise, student loan forgiveness, uh, to take away those freedoms. Because um, a government that uh, takes care of our every need is also a government that controls our every movement. And um, it, it, it's very dehumanizing, uh, a lot of the regulations that uh, people are faced with, including in this country, which is a very free market country still, but we've also been on a, on a slow decline over time and we need to be reminded that uh, we need to work together and we and in order to help the most vulnerable we also need to come together as a community that's a responsibility we have to take that we can't delegate um, to a government it can cause more harm than good um, and, uh, and and also to defend uh, the free market system uh, with all of our might because it really is about uh, lives and livelihoods and uh, the American spirit, uh, which is alive and well, and we should keep it that way. Great, thanks, Enda. With about 15 minutes left, I wanna switch over a bit to audience Q&A here. Uh, and one of the common questions that I'm seeing we're getting in here is about other resources or organizations or things people can do on college campuses. Um, Sebastian Horton here says that he's going to be a freshman next year at American. Um, and he's asking kind of, what can he do to fight socialism on a college campus? Morgan, I think I'll kick this off to you for an obvious reason here. <laughs> yeah, well, I went to American and I feel bad. I actually did nothing on campus. I did everything off campus. I was always so busy, but I was downtown in DC doing internships and, and volunteering. And I was actually part of the DC Young Republicans. I skipped, I skipped college Republicans. I went to one meeting, got a free NRA koozie and I was out of there. But um, I, I will say it's important to, to speak up 
or to catch what's going on in the classroom. And so I had many crazy situations in the classroom. Uh, there was one where the professor said that people in the South are Republican because one, we don't like immigrants and they're by the border and two, race. And that was that was the lesson. He moved on after that. And I didn't have the courage at the time. I wasn't very vocal and I had never done a speech or anything. I didn't have the courage to speak up and say that that was wrong of him. And I, I wish that if I didn't have the courage, I should have at least recorded it because that would have made it onto Fox News. That's a very marketable video for me to catch. And so when you do have indoctrination in the classroom, when you do have people pushing their crazy radical socialist and communist policies, if you don't have the courage to speak up, which I don't blame you at all, it's a very radical and hostile environment, especially at AU, the number one most politically active campus in the country, take out your phone and record that, I swear. It, it's going to be powerful. And people at home who aren't in the college classroom, we know something's going on in many instances, but we aren't there to be there for you. And video, it's, it's one of the most profound ways to express what's going on. So help people who aren't in the classroom and record it if you have the courage. And uh, I would say also there's this element of culture that I think young Americans have to focus on. And I've talked about this. I might've brought this up in the Dr. Lee Edwards uh, session that we did, Kelly, but Teen Vogue, Teen Vogue is a magazine I used to read when I was a little girl. Like my grandma bought me a subscription when I was in middle school and I would look at little nail polish magazine articles and like where to buy a cute skirt for or a cute skirt for spring. And now even yesterday, they just posted an article that said, here's what Antifa is doing for our society. And it was a positive article. They have posted why the Communist Manifesto is relevant for America, why Karl Marx and his teachings are still relevant in society. It's crazy stuff. So I did research into it. I saw that uh, Teen Vogue actually sponsored a table and a panel at the 2019 Socialist Party of America convention. And on this panel, they talk about stripping away the American family until uh, it's gone so that they can implement socialism fully. And that really reminds me, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. It reminds me of a part of The Fountainhead. If anybody's read The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, it's like this thick. So you really got to work to get to the good part that I'm about to say, because this is at the end. But it talks about steps that people will take if they want to kill the integrity of somebody and if they want to seize power over somebody and manipulate them. And I think that's what's happening right now in the cultural aspect of the fight for America. Um, it talks about kill integrity with internal corruption. And I'll read you these two quotes. There's two reasons, two ways that they say. One way, quote, kill a man's sense of values, kill his capacity to recognize greatness and achieve it. Great men can't be ruled. We don't want any great men. Don't deny the conception of greatness, destroy it from within. And the second one is, quote, this is important. Don't allow people to be happy. Happiness is self-contained and self-sufficient. Happy men have no time and no use for you. Happy men are free men, so kill their joy in living. And I think by preaching those values to young Americans that you shouldn't have your family. All you should focus on is how much money you have and you shouldn't have religion. You shouldn't have those extra uh, aspects of happiness in your life. They are truly killing their joy of living and making it so that the only thing they can focus on is their, their, uh, their wealth and their status and things that make it easier for them to be mad at people who have more money than them and support wealth redistribution. So I think it all ties in and that fight on college campuses is really cultural. So speak onto those values, promote having a family in the future and live Living that classic American life, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's an important thing to pass on to your friends. I would, um, I would like to add a few resources that I hope uh, folks will find helpful as they are pushing back against their professors and also in conversation with their fellow students. It's important that we engage people with an open heart and an open mind and assume that they have uh, 
the best intentions uh, instead of arguing or shouting each other down um, we need to be happy warriors and really fight the good fight um, because we know um, what's right and true and be passionate about sharing that with folks. And I think one really good resource is the Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, if you visit fee.org, fee.org, um, they also have really great social media presence and they do awesome uh, videos and other content that deals with uh, current events and looking at things from the economic lens and explaining why socialism doesn't work. Nice. Actually, yeah, this is from Fee. That's right. The Law by Bastiat, I think, is uh, extremely powerful. It helped me to see the light as well about redistribution, this idea of legal plunder. So it's a really short book. Um, you can find it for free online. Fee has it. They also have an interesting resource that they're very willing to send to uh, college campus groups. It's called Excuse Me Professor, and it gets exactly at this, uh, what you're talking about, uh, Morgan, that goes through all of uh, a lot of the uh, myths and uh, that professors might throw at you and then gives you the intellectual ammunition to um, fight back uh, diplomatically uh, but with the right facts. So that's another uh, resource I recommend. Fee.org. They also have wonderful seminars for college students um, and an annual conference that I think will go on again in 2021 called FeeCon that um, I highly uh, uh, recommend. And then, you know, get engaged with uh, campus groups. Um, it can be very lonely if you're a conservative or libertarian or classical liberal on campus and you feel like you're surrounded uh, by liberals. And oftentimes you'll find there are actually more people out there that think like you, but they are afraid to speak up because they don't want to be um, sh uh, sh shouted down. So if you, by joining a college group like uh, Young Americans for Freedom or the Network for Enlightened Women or maybe College Republicans, or in my case, it was the Economic Society George Mason and finding those like-minded people you can build yourself a network of strength and support and thankfully to social media you can also find a lot of these people uh, online and um, that can strengthen uh, your uh, resolve and also um, help you with the arguments and the stories that you can tell to uh, bring more people uh, to, to, the, to, to the light side to the side of freedom and away from the dark side of socialism. Yeah, and I know that you both are very prolific campus speakers and have gone to multiple campuses and given great talks about this. So uh, definitely uh, great. Um, we're getting a couple of questions in kind of about, Morgan, the book that you held up earlier. What was the name of it again? Um, if you could just oh, so this is mention the law. That. The law. Uh, I actually just held it up because it's from Fee. <laughs> and so I, I, did I would ditto. Oh, this one. Noble Purpose. Mm -hmm. And Perfect. so it's, it's just really great. Like I said, it's important. I definitely study the regular politics stuff, but I think it's best to be a well-rounded person. Don't rely on college to teach you how to be well-rounded. Rely on yourself and do your morning and nightly reading. I do it all the time. Um, and I would say two other really great sources to educate yourself specifically on this issue. Uh, Hillsdale College has a free American history course and a few other courses. Um, and on top of that, Victims of Communism has a really great uh, course on the history of communism that you can walk yourself through. They're both on their websites. And so I would say those are two immediate actions that I would suggest taking both of those courses because there's nothing you can do more than, than 
intellectually arm yourself with the truth. And then you'll be confident going into any conversation and you'll be more likely to win people over and, and get less emotional and less argumentative. You'll just be able to stay calm and say, listen, baby, I got the truth on my side and it'll just be wonderful. <laughs> Sorry, I think I was muted for a second, but um, absolutely. And Rumina, I'll uh, give this question over to you, but um, Dan Mortensen from the Virginia Council on Economic Education is asking, how do you cut through the clutter of social media to get the attention of today's young people and capture their interest initially in learning about these issues? I wonder if uh, Morgan has a better answer to this since she has uh, a, a much more uh, vibrant uh, social social media presence and a lot more uh, followers. So I'm going to I'm going to send this one to you, Morgan. Uh, oh, stop. Um, I what we focus on is we're really trying to develop to develop like peer to peer, super casual communication with friends. And I actually somebody reached out. Uh, I get a lot of mean messages, but I got a nice message recently from this woman who's a part of Black Lives Matter, and and she reached out to me and said, "You're so vocal about freedom and and independence and justice, and uh, I haven't seen you do a video on uh, um, George Floyd." And I said, "Oh wow, I I'm so sorry. I didn't think people cared what I had to say about that. I, you know, I I talk about socialism all the time, and and I just wasn't expecting that they would expect something from me." And so uh, she actually reached out and she said that she really appreciated following me because she thought that I was just a random Instagram person and I also spoke about politics and so I think what's really important is that you behave as an average person you don't try and talk down to them you don't try and say I'm going to educate you you just talk to them as a friend and you present information at the same time so it's incorporated and so what we're trying to develop over time is kind of think of like a YouTube channel a blog a vlog where it's very peer-to-peer -peer, very casual and they don't feel like they're being talked to. They don't feel like they're being educated. They just feel like they're being enlightened over time by following along with what we're doing and what we're talking about. And so that's our goal, at least. I think it's been really successful so far. We've been around uh, since last August, so I, I, not even a year now, and we're already at over 300,000 followers total across social media, and we're just going to work on keep growing. Uh, I actually, if anybody out there is young or if you're just interested, we are launching a, a blog. It's doing a soft launch on Friday. And so also, if you want to do video contributions we're doing that too but if you want to be a contributor weekly bi-weekly or monthly reach out to us uh, on our website fightsocialism.org and we're also creating a coalition for rapid response that will develop uh, later this month and so those are two ways that people who aren't really political but they are interested in what we're saying because it's something that all Americans can really get behind it's a really exciting thing that we're building and we're excited to have people on board so please go to fightsocialism.org if you want to join us Right, and so I'll, I think I'll pose one more question before we wrap it up here. But um, Romina, Eric Peterson from the Pelican Institute here is asking, what about modern monetary theory is so appealing to socialist leading politicians like AOC to pay for programs like Medicare for All or the Green New Deal? Yeah, um, hi Eric, glad you're on here. Uh, yes, so modern monetary theory basically gives politicians license to spend uh, by just borrowing the money and putting the burden on the next generation, but it actually is based on the idea that governments can just spend as much as they, they want as long as they have a sovereign currency where they can just print the money to basically pay 
of uh, the debts that they've incurred um, and that uh, they could do it until there's inflation and then the government will just tax all the money back. And it's a very uh, top-down way of looking at our economy that assumes that the government is at the center of prosperity and that the way to generate growth and prosperity is by the government spending money, which is completely backwards, because ultimately it's about individuals, uh, people in our society being free to create and then trade with each other that um, creates all the stuff that um, the government then goes and uh, seizes and redistributes or, um, you know, that we can all enjoy and uh, buy in, in the marketplaces that we interact in. And uh, so, Keynes uh, was an economist that gave politicians license to um, to spend and borrow during times of crises, and then politicians really liked that idea that they wouldn't have to be held accountable for the deficits and debt that they incurred. They could just say, look, uh, Keynes said that it's going to promote growth, and but then they didn't just do it during times of crises, but they also did it during economically strong times, like what, um, unfortunately, our government was also engaged in uh, leading up to the coronavirus crisis. And, you know, now we have, we've seen even more spending. And modern monetary theory is, is taking this uh, one step further and saying, you don't even have to borrow the money, you just print it. Uh, but, you know, we know what countries that uh, print too much money, um, they print more money than their economies can support uh, what they suffer from, and that is inflation. And Venezuela is a great example of this, where they had, um, I think they had a 10,000 um, percent uh, inflation, according to the IMF. And what that means is that basically anything that uh, people saved through their hard work, um, within a, a period of months or a year, it could be completely eroded, where $10,000 go down to being worth no more than 10 cents. And what can you buy with that? Basically nothing. And so those economies collapsed. Um, yeah, it's very appealing to politicians because ta um, raising taxes is politically unpopular, but spending money is great. And especially the um, the radical leftists with their very expensive promises for Green New Deal, student loan forgiveness, Medicare for all. Uh, they're looking at spending uh, roughly $50 trillion over the next 10 years just on their agenda, which would roughly double the entire federal budget, which is already deeply in debt. And so they don't want to have to say where that money is going to come from because then they would have to be honest and say we're going to tax the middle class and lower income Americans because that's the only way to pay for this expansive welfare state. So instead they say no we don't need to worry about paying for it. We'll just use modern monetary theory and print the money but it's a lie. It's the same false utopian promise that they tell in all other um, areas of their agenda um, which is that you can get something from nothing. That's just not true. It always has to come from somewhere and in this case it comes from the American American people and their hard work. Well, great, and I know we are over 3 p.m. now, um, so I'll hand it back over to you guys in a bit to give any kind of concluding remarks that are brief, but I just wanted to say thank you uh, so much to both of you. I definitely learned a lot from you today, and thank you to everyone who tuned in today for your time. Again, I'm with the Young Leaders Program at Heritage, and we have internship opportunities um, and an academy, which is an educational program and those deadlines are coming up on uh, June 1st and July 1st. And so you can go to heritage.org backslash internships and find out more information about that. Um, but yeah, I'll hand it back over to Morgan and Romina to give any last words. 
Oh, yeah. Well, thank you again, Kelly, for having us. I'm really excited that YAS is co-hosting this with you, and we're excited for uh, future partnerships. But thank you to everybody for tuning in. I would just say the action points, like we mentioned earlier, are to include a motion and, and firsthand testimony when we're making the argument against socialism and for capitalism. Take those courses at Hillsdale College and Victims of Communism. And then I would also say when we leave a vacuum uh, in terms of the conversation around important uh, issues like like healthcare, uh, student loan debt, and climate change or environmental issues, uh, we really do create that vacuum and it allows the far left to come fill it with radical policies. And so I think the best way for moving forward is for us to not only keep a, a, a hold on those higher uh, parts of the conversation, like the morality of capitalism, but we also have to go issue by issue and win them over, specifically with those three, because that's what our generation cares about most. So consider what you can do to advocate the conservative cause in those three issues. And I think we're going to really gain a lot of ground if we win over young Americans with those top uh, issues that they care about most because right now they think we don't care at all and I think they would really really be surprised to hear that our ideas would bring greater results so I think results oriented communication on policy is going to win us a lot of ground on this thank you again for having me so good to be on with you here today, Morgan. It's been really a pleasure. And thank you, Kelly, also for co-hosting. Uh, my last point would be that uh, the good fight is a fight for all of us. It's about the heart and soul of this country. And uh, oftentimes, conservatives will uh, try to convince people with facts and to persuade their minds. But the way uh, to the mind is through the heart. Um, so. We need to highlight the stories of survivors um, to make that emotional appeal and also uh, tap into what we know uh, people care about, uh, the freedom uh, of entrepreneurs to innovate, create awesome services and products, and that the best way for us to uh, provide for those most vulnerable among us and to take care of our neighbors is not to delegate that responsibility to the government, but to take responsibility ourselves, to be aware and to take care of, um, of ourselves, our, our family, and our, our community through civil society. That's the most uh, powerful way um, toward liberty. Thank you. Thank you so much. And with that, I think we'll end our program today.